Love the British monarchy? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the To Die For Daily podcast with Kinsey Schofield. Take it away, Kinsey. All right. Hi, guys. Kinsey here with the To Die For Daily podcast. And I don't know, maybe it was two weeks ago, I sent my friend Dr. Tessa Dunlop an email and I said, I just miss you. Can we get on the podcast to chat? And I'm so grateful that she agreed to talk to me. I'd miss you the last time I was in London, but I cannot stress enough how fun you are in real life. Your energy is electric. And I have to see you the next time I'm there because I just adore you. Oh, thank you. And it was a deep heartbreak high for me because when um, I met you and then the subsequent time you came, I had this ankle breakage, which is, I mean, London it's is a big, funny. old, hardcore city. And when you have a cracked ankle and pull the ligaments in the other one, you know, mobility, I I, I, I think I should take out shares in Uber. I'm just saying that. So right. to, to get to somebody was literally costing me a small flight. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really sorry that we didn't have more time to hang out. But I did meet somebody very significant to the royal story in Britain. Um, but not not actually because of my little temporary disability, but we kind of had a connection about that because I was filming with him. Uh -huh. And his name is JJ Chalmers. And he was a Marine. He went to Afghanistan. Um, his tour did not coincide with Prince Harry's, but he got to know Harry because he was blown up when he was a Marine in Afghanistan. Miraculously, he survived. He had major life-altering surgery, like yeah. literally had what was left of his arms stuck back onto his body. His stomach looks like a shark has mauled it. His eyeball had to be reconstructed, the, the, the bones around it, like not eyeball, sorry, the socket, the socket yeah. around which um, protects the eye. So this was kind of an extraordinary story and one um, where he says in his own Instagram heading, you know, lived a nightmare, now living the dream. Um, but he absolutely cites Harry as the agent, really, for nightmare tipping into dream fantasy land. JJ now is pretty well-known name on mainstream television here in Britain. He performed in the Invictus Games, the first Invictus Games. Harry early on spotted him, recruited him as a bit of a PR agent for those first Invictus Games. And I really felt in some way just kind of heartened by being around JJ. He was such a regular bloke and he was kind. And he just spoke in a sweet, modest way about Harry in the way that we knew him for so long, you know, in this kind of service role mm. um, attached to the military, changing his life. And I felt um, deeply moved by that. And I thought of, just to, to credit the, the title of your podcast, I thought of Harry's late mother and how that so often amidst all the kind of horror and the trolling and the nonsense, we lose sight of actually why we held up on, and hold up individuals like Diana and her son Harry for the way in which partly yeah gift from God the position they were born into but the way in which their own personal alchemy allows them to change lives you know you the way you describe JJ is taking something terrible that's happened to him and turning it into a win do you think that that's how Harry has handled the last few years I think it's been an incredibly difficult journey, one that I don't think Harry has many assets. I don't think he had the intellectual acumen and 
probably the grounding in history, bizarrely, <laughs> uh, given his family, to understand just what he was trying to achieve. Mm. He needed to go much slower, but I totally understand why the impetuous lad, the rival sibling, the bruised man, wanted to smack it out there really quickly, get some easy hits, except they've proved quite hard hits, but lucrative ones, that's for sure, under his belt. And I don't think he would have ever envisaged the difficulty, but let's flip the optic around. And I thought it was really, really clear this summer where there were a couple of stellar wins for the royal family. And one was King Charles, okay, albeit very briefly, but hosting your president Biden in Windsor Castle, the bromance moment, the arm on the shoulder, the Welsh First Guards, the military music, the sunshine. This was optics of state. This was the magic, the tinsel of monarchy that America buys into, that Britain does well, that Harry left. Again, I would say whatever Meghan's narrative's been, the takeaway from this summer is Kate Middleton in or Princess of Wales, as I'm always being told off for not calling her. It's very hard, isn't it, to keep up with the name changes in the royal family. Yeah. Princess of Wales in her Pacer Green and then in her Emerald Green. Basically, out box officing every Hollywood star of Wimbledon. Can you even remember the names of the winners of Wimbledon? Because actually, Kate, Kate was such a runaway success. And I think that we have to own when you're part of the royal family, the building bricks that come with the institution mean you are greater than the sum of your parts. And that means by definition, Harry outside royalty is less than the sum of his parts had he stayed in the institution. And I think that is a, something very painful. It's a reality that will be hitting home for him now. And I, I've always felt compassion for Harry and I continue to feel compassion because he was born into something. When you are born into it, Kinsey, you take it for granted. Right, right. That's a really good point. Uh, well, you mentioned some wins over the summer. And when I reached out to you, I thought I'd love to pick your brain about the last year because we're approaching the anniversary of the Queen's death. And there has been quite a few issues. I mean, I, I so and, and it feels like things have run so smoothly that I've forgotten about them. Multiple prime ministers. My gosh. I mean, that's wild. Multiple prime ministers spare, which a lot of us thought, is this the end of the British royal family as the uh, anticipation mounted for the book release? But surprisingly, everything seems to be A-OK. And I'd, I'd love to know what your opinion is and your reaction to some of the biggest controversies over the last 12 months. Several things. I'm Don't underestimate the entrenched power of the British establishment. Mm -hmm. And that is really what our royal family represent, for better or for worse. And the wonderful thing about having your head of state separate from your political estate means that the chaos that has seen Britain's brand plummet in the last few years hasn't contaminated the British monarchy. In some ways, it has made the monarchy, it's reminded us of their exceptional appeal, which is actually they're above politics or somewhere different from politics. And Charles, I think there was huge amounts of worry that coming after his nonagenarian war hero, mother and father, he was just going to seem a bit flibbity-jibber, a bit meh, a bit like Prince Charles. Do you know what I'm saying? But 
he's actually this dude of 74. So little Rishi, was it Biden who called him little some some kind of derogative comment? I think it sl- slipped out of Biden's slightly clumsy octogenarian lips. You know, little Rishi and um, and, and flash in the pan Liz Truss and ridiculous Boris are, are kindergarten politicians in comparison with our 74-year-old monarch. So it, it was just the Queen was a real outlier, but actually Charles in relation to our pretty thin political estate seems well at least steady if nothing else and avuncular kind of reassuring like the dude you want to put your arm around as biden did so so i would say he's kind of escaped quite easily charles in some respects in the in this first year i think stuff coming down the track is going to be maybe a little bit more in in that the family stuff with harry that's that's hugely painful, I think, for him. But yeah. but in terms of like his role as head of state, I think he's he's been kind of lucky in some respects. That's interesting. Well, um, you know, there were reports around the time that Spare was released that there was a war room set up and that it was Prince William that said, I think we should react to this. The never complain, never explain, thrown out the window. William wanted to fight it. And they chose to go with never complain, never explain. Um, do you think that that was the right decision? Right, because I have this, and it's partly because I got the long view. I know way too much about Edward VIII, <laughs> the difficulty of being born with all this kind of nonsense, which is really a lot of what royalty is. It's it's nonsense. The rest of us can't begin to get our heads around it. Right. You know, it's very difficult to escape from that. It's quite addictive. He's a prince. He's not a plumber. And I think that given, and, and it's come to pass, the majesty of the institution that confers onto Kate and William and Charles this immediate, you know, higher role in a, that Harry no longer has. I felt they could have offered the hand of reconciliation and really forgiveness, which is what's required on their part because he's been a bit public and underhand, Harry, to say the least. I would have liked to have seen that done more publicly. That's me personally. You know that I'm, I mean, I'm always, you know, coming under fire in Britain for being too sympathetic towards Meghan and Harry. But it is in a country as entrenched in its own history as ours. It is very, very difficult to take on an institution, even even if it's one or particularly if it's one that your own family belong to. So I'm... You know, I still feel conflicted. I, I feel he did something quite brave. He did it in a slightly foolish way. And I want Charles and William to recognise their larger, more important, better funded positions and just extend that hand over the Atlantic like Jesus on water. Oh, that Can is, you see it, Kinsey? I can. It's visually very stimulating. Um, so despite the Netflix documentary and despite Spare, you would like to see a... Um, Th- that's one. That's something that you aren't impressed with in King Charles's first year. You would have liked to have seen some act of kindness or compassion towards Harry versus the silence. I think it will come. Mm-hmm. I think it will come. Th- the reason I I want it is I always felt it made the royal family look a bit mealy mouthed and churlish when, even though he's treasonable and pretty objectionable, Edward the Eighth and very spoilt that they just totally blocked him out really until he died. I mean, they hardly gave him the time of day and it made them look a bit mean in, in you know, just 
just say that you silly old uncle, you got it horribly wrong, you made a mistake, but hey, you married the woman you love and give us a hug, you know, all is forgiven. And you don't have to hang out and be really good friends, but I would have liked to have seen that from the latter day royal family and I and I'm the erstwhile family rather but and I, and I yeah I feel and I feel Charles I kind of know this actually he's a kind man like he's not he has failings we all have failings but he's kind and even Harry in his book doesn't really ever bring down his dear papa you know darling boy I mean he's a slightly inattentive father he's a bit posh and silly and he's in love with the wrong woman or a different woman but you know darling boy he doesn't you know undercut his son or anything he right. shows sympathy when for instance you know harry's pictured naked in the tabloids or whatever you know so charles just doing his best and i want him to do his best again that's what i want for, well, for to, to, you know just and you've hmm. mentioned edward the eighth uh, am i right in is my memory correct that charles was very sympathetic towards edward the eighth in that entire scenario well, yeah, I mean, I think that's less clear because, of course, Charles was a junior and he was kind of one generation removed. It's a bit like saying Prince George is sympathetic or something like that. But I think it's so often the case. You have perspective, don't you, when you're a couple of generations removed. And I think probably what Charles doesn't have. And also, he's a busy guy. We know he gets easily overwhelmed. You know, the pen incident in Northern Ireland or was <laughs> St. James's Court on day two of being king. He get a bit flustered. He's got a lot coming at him. He's got the question of those other 14 realms as of yet unresolved, Kinsey. Right. Um, hasn't stepped foot in any of those 14 realms yet. Took took his first holiday to Romania. You know, so, so some kind of uncomfortable ends that he needs to, that he's probably prioritizing as king. And we're hooked into this soap opera. Yes. And probably to now go the row the other way, he's like, I'm a dad. In the end, has an eye going to sort it out. You, in a way, you do take your family for granted, don't you? I certainly do mine. I did two whole years of not talking to my big brother when I was doing IVF, no. you know. So for no other reason than that he didn't ask me how I was. So, so I mean, that was two years silence, Kinsey. That's yeah. brother and sister stuff. You know? So maybe, and 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 this is, we're impatient. We're, we're wanting the melodrama. You know, we, we bought in voyeuristically to the narrative because Harry's asked us to. And we're maybe wanting something that's going to take a little bit longer to come. So let, let's, if we may, now talk about those other realms, because I think that is that is a thorny issue. And, and one, he's got to confront in this next year. Oh, you do think that that's something that needs to happen in the his as his second year, he's settled. You want him to take this head on. If I may reference my book, Elizabeth and Philip, yes, right um, out in America with Pegasus. Yes. Well, Charles didn't see. Oh, that's so loyal of you. Charles did not see his mother for six months, pretty much immediately, almost after her coronation, because she was doing a gigantic tour of the Commonwealth with her coronation gown stashed in the bow of the boat, right? So she is prioritizing, we're talking about his family relations with grown-up Harry, the late queen prioritized her relations with her realms and the Commonwealth, two not to be confused, although sometimes they're one and the same thing, over her infant children, Anne and Charles. Nice. So I think we can't pretend it isn't important. And Charles has not extended the hand of, you know, rekindled the friendship with Harry, and nor has he visited those realms yet. He's he's older. He's had a coronation to get out of the way. 
I understand that. He wanted to tick the European box. That's important for Britain because we crashed our brand. So he did Germany. You'll remember there were riots in France, so he couldn't go to France. But I think the harder journey, he's always going to be a novelty in a country like France. Harder journey is to go to those countries that still have him as a head of state symbolically. And we know that's become contentious. Is he not going there because he doesn't want the headlines that show the protesters and he doesn't want the TV coverage of the people that are anti-monarchist, you know, rain, rain, like raining down on them? Why do you think that that hasn't been a priority for him? I think it's not necessarily a priority. It's just he's been busy. He's only had one year, one year since his mum died. If you think, actually, the Queen, she had a whole 18 months, pretty much like coronation. Then she gets another wee while before she goes in our Commonwealth. I think we will see, and Charles is much older, we will now see Charles travel to some of those Commonwealth countries. But I, if, if you flip it around, so let's talk in a more positive way. I'm trying to do this, my new resolution. Why did he choose Romania for his holiday? I mean, I chose thought Romania. he chose Romania for his holiday because that was truly a Zen space for him and that he, he really finds peace there. And why why, why do, you think, do you think one of the reasons is, except for the wildlife and the bird life and the architecture and all those things that speak to him as the pastoral monarch with the oak tree, I think it's also, and I know this because I know Romania really well, they pretty much unconditionally love him. And we're humans. All humans love being loved. Find me one on the planet. Kinsey, I love you. You love me. That's why we get on. You know, love is a two-way street. Romania had a tough old time with its international reputation until recently. So did Charles. Mm. Romania was always flattered by Charles's love. Always. And now it's come good. He's the king, man. And it's gone back. And they love him and he loves them. And that is a place of peace. And we know that Whatever Charles's affection for the realms, it is, it's a thornier route. It's, you are met with placards and with applause, mm. as he is in Scotland, in Wales, in some parts of England. So can we blame him for briefly going to Romania? No. No, that's a great point. And I was reading in 1990, I believe he I believe he visited Los Angeles. And for some reason, you know, there were protests against him here in Los Angeles. I wish I could tell you the exact reason why. But I thought, my gosh, to get people out of bed before 10 a.m. to protest against a prince. man, That's some that's some enthusiasm. Um, Do you have any opinion? When was that? Kinsey, when were those protests? It in was California. in it was in 1990. I know he'd he'd come to America for um, hurricane relief in Charleston and stopped by in L.A. to do something. And I cannot remember exactly what the the protests were about. But I thought, my goodness, that's so strange that he would be met with any sort of negativity in no. Hollywood, where royalty is bigger than celebrity. Mm. Yes, but who was bigger than Charles at the time? Come Diana. on. <laughs> Diana. She'd had a John Travolta moment. She was a smash hit in the USA. Yeah. She was a smash hit globally. Absolutely. This was like the Taj Mahal moment when she's sitting alone and not giving Charles her lips when he goes to kiss her. And it is terrible times. Two years later, we're going to have the official announcement of their separation, the Annas Horribilis. Right. No, 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 no. I can totally understand. 
the interesting thing about Charles is, and I think now we see him as this kind of dear old uncle and stuff, you know, smells of posh aftershave, according to Harry. I love an old man that smells of posh aftershave. Anyway, like just saying, but I I think we forget that, you know, the ego, the ego is therefore I am. Charles, before he got married, and he says this in a, a Channel 4 documentary, it's recorded, was filmed not for Channel 4 for something earlier, but I saw it on a Channel 4 documentary. He says he kind of pities the woman he's going to marry. He doesn't use the word pity, but he's kind of, you know, thinking about that because all the people are always going to be wanting his attention. But what happens when he marries Diana? The absolute reverse. She takes it. She takes that brand and she builds some on it. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like Kate Middleton at the moment. Yeah. Where she's bigger than William. Right. Isn't she? Yeah. And do you believe the rumors that he has an issue with that? I don't think that he, I would, I think that he is shot typically shies away from media. So it'd be like, please it, girl, just go for it. I think he is less insecure, considerably less insecure than his father. And so therefore no. And also we know that their relationship is a much more equal one and a one based on mutual affection in a way that Charles and Diana's never was. Oh, that makes my heart thump. And now a word from our sponsor. Um, I did want to ask you about these uh, rumors of uh, internal problems between the King's Palace and the Prince and Princess of Wales. I don't believe them. Um, you know, the the idea that Prince William's team went behind the King's back after trooping the color to make sure William was on the front of the newspapers for Father's Day and that there was some animosity there. Are you, Have you heard anything about that? Do you get a sense that there's any sort of competition behind the scenes between the two palaces at this time? What I can tell you is that the royal fraternity, and I mean the press really, and the people who feed off talking about the royals, need to keep them in the press to make money. I'm sorry to be a cynic. Yeah. Okay, so who's really needing the front pages? Is it in the wake of Trooping of the Colour, the royal commentators, or is it the royal family? And I'm not saying that, I think sometimes William and Kate's PR is more effective, as you'd expect it to be, than his father's. They're older, they're not as good at social media, they're perhaps not as quick out of the traps. Do I think Charles has a problem with that? No, I think Charles is pretty grateful that William is standing alongside him, his liege man of life and limb, because by golly, he needs one in the wake of the Sussexes. So I'm, I treat all that kind of stuff with caution. I, I'm quite new to this game. Before, you know, I kind of started talking about the press, the, the royal family in public forums, the contemporary royal family. Most of my work was in archives, looking at the history and, and, the, and the 20th century space particularly the first half of the 20th century. And I have been really struck, Kinsey, by the vitriol and the unpleasantness around the debate, the dog whistle politics that has infected the royal narrative and the press coverage of that narrative. And so I am very wary, therefore, of a lot of the stories that I read. And actually, a lot the way that a lot of the stories are interpreted, I, I wrote that somewhere that um, in in the wake of the revelation that Kate was keen to keep the line, some recollections may vary in response to the the Oprah Winfrey interview. I wrote that Kate, I wrote three, I think I wrote she she has, um, you know, she has this, she has various accolades. She's 
you know, I can't remember intelligent, attractive. I can't remember the list of, you know, positive, the superlatives. And then also she does have a ruthless streak. Ooh. And that wasn't in a negative way. Yeah, but that was, I didn't really think, I just wrote, you know, insofar as you need to survive if you're going to be a major player in the House of Windsor, just like you need to in politics and any big game where you're under the pop, where under the public gaze. It's work is working at how to survive and minimize the damage and look after those you really love. That doesn't mean she's an unpleasant person. My goodness, the vitriol I received for that. Oh, no, no, I to understand. the point that because it was, you know, and I didn't even. I, I since then I've like examined every single word I put down on the page because what I was saying was along with all her. I, I, I think she's a good girl. Okay, absolutely. You know, I think she's a stellar brand for Britain. I think she does her job impeccably. She behaves wonderfully. She's very disciplined. But but that requires a kind of ruthless discipline. You know, on good days, for half an hour, I might be as together as as Kate. Right. You know, I. I hate to go back to it, but it does remind me of what I admired in Diana. I loved the fact that she felt like she was a mouse in a cage. And so she picks up the phone, calls James Coldhurst and says, let's do something with Andrew Morton. And for the next few months, no one has any idea that she's making these secret tapes and not even the nosy butler. They have no idea she's making these secret tapes. She creates, there's an entire book that's now basically our Diana Bible. Um, you know, I do, I think, I don't think that the word ruthless has to be negative i think it means that kate is sometimes the smartest person in the room and that's amazing yeah. because that's what you want in a future queen indeed you do absolutely and also i think if you apply that word she's very disciplined that she hasn't picked up the phone that's another kind of ruthlessly disciplined managing herself and her own emotions because let's not pretend there weren't some over the last few months with all the sussex you know diatribe so i think the, the interpretation of that word but it's also it's a bit like why is megan attack because the word ambition we can't cope with the word ambition whenever we kind of give women or credit women with any kind of masculine weaponry if you like the things that have meant men have succeeded in the patriarchy whenever we attribute some of those things to a woman oh it's toxic oh it's terrible she can only be feminine she can only be a sort of model she can only be great for the rag trade you know worth one billion pounds incidentally apparently to the british um rag trade is it, it, extraordinary like the, the effect the kate effect but she's more than that she is more than a nice pair of shoes uh, that's and a good waistline oh great oh, i was God. asked the other day by the way of her exercise routine because i heard that she i got it from my agent one of the one of the slightly more impressive high earning clients of my agent who knew that kate is like a real gym bunny in the mornings and i'm like yeah that's more of that kind of ruthless discipline Absolutely. She's got the, the most watched waistline in the world. Wouldn't you invest a couple of extra hours in it? Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Such, that's a good point. Yeah. I think that point about Megan as well, when, because um, I've had several UK broadcasters say to me, there's no more interest in them. There's nothing that they can, there's nothing else that they could produce that people would be interested in. Right. And I'm like, oh, you know, between 50,000 and 200,000 people are about to watch this video on YouTube. You cannot tell me that there is not a monetary value to the Duke of Duchess of Sussex, we're, we're proving it right here, right now, because so many people are going to watch this video. You know, my mom says, oh, tut, tut, whatever old moms do. They just never seem to go away. That's always there. And I'm like, mom, that's because we're putting them there. I said, do you know, 
of all the, you know, every time I'm asked for a comment on a royal, nine times out of 10, it's on Harry and Meghan. That's mm -hmm. what they want to know about. That's not Harry and Meghan. They're not creating content, particularly at the moment. They're not going, woohoo. <laughs> they're not where he's not in the court. He's, you know, he's not giving evidence in the court at the moment. They're not being chased down by a taxi. But still, anything, even if it's retrospective, you'll see a headline, one of the tabloids. You'll think, really? And then you'll read it and, oh, they've just taken something from three years ago. Right. You know, and they're recycling it because they want the clicks. Right. Like you know, the, that's like the truth. The David and Victoria Beckham story. I'm like, the story's so what? old. Are you sure you want me to talk about this on live television yeah. right now? <laughs> I turned that down. I, I turned that one. I, you know, sometimes you're like, hello, this is lame. It's actually lame game stuff. And it's about our need for them. So, yeah, you can be sure that when Harry's documentary in Africa comes out, we are going to be on it, pouncing like a tiger, babes, on that documentary, if only so that all the haters can go, we hate it. You know, and funnily enough, I know one of a, a good director friend of mine was approached about possibly working on that documentary. Oh, wow. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely happening. So um, and, and so you're when, saying, and, and, and obviously by telling me that you're saying that they're approaching really good people because I'm assuming that if he's a friend of yours, it's it's uh, going to be quality content. She, rather wonderfully, she's not. She she didn't for whatever reason she hasn't got she hasn't got the gig, but yeah, they a production company had a serious conversation with her about producing. It's not Archwell, it's a different company because Archwell contracts out to another production company to make the product. Um, about and, and she said to me, the only thing she'd give me, because I was like, you know, death, it was a bit like when we started this conversation on JJ Chalmers. I was like desperately trying to squirrel a little Harry, even tidbit here and there without seeming like this kind of gross, you know, tabloid voyeur. But, um, but yeah, she said the one thing was that Harry knew that it couldn't be too worthy. Oh, what do you think yeah. that, well, how whatever do you that means? Yeah, I was going to say, what do you, how do you translate that? Well, that he couldn't be too earnest or some such. I can't remember the exact, I didn't write it, you know. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I'll just put my pint down. It was like, you know, I'm there for a drink, you know, excuse me while I just, you know, directly say, but that was the sentiment was that it couldn't be too sort of preachy. Ah. And I think that uh, Harry knows that. Harry knows that he might have briefly occasionally forgotten it, but successful Harry, brand Harry was the boom, hang out with the queen, make us laugh with the monarch, you know, uh, that's the Harry we know and love, the guy who was able to rib tickle us from within the royal family. Now he has to work out how to do that without that tinsel and mortar. That's a but tough I, gig. I also think he really could. I mean, I know that a lot of people say it's too much of a crutch, but there's a lot of ways that he could sincerely, um, you know, remind of his remind us of his mother throughout that process yes you know? yes own diana yeah um i did want to ask you back to um back to the idea of fighting within the palace and this is really just an observation i'm making between the king and the the prince of wales you write in your book elizabeth and philip about the way that sometimes the media actually creates this friction from the newsstand, how they would create polls about whether or not Prince Philip was worthy enough of Princess Elizabeth. Um, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to, to say I believe your point that sometimes it's just a paper trying to sell a paper because that's not th these are archives that you're addressing and referencing mm -hmm. when talking about these polls that were generated about whether or not Prince Philip was worthy enough for Princess Elizabeth. And this, this was a, this is, I'm glad you brought that up. 
um, this was unprecedented. This was in, they get married in 1947. And this was, let me get this right. I think this was in the January of 1947, I think, before their engagement. They get engaged in the July officially. It's announced they're engaged before then, really. Um, and they get married in the November. And there is this poll people write in and have their say. What's really interesting is it is in the Sunday Pictorial, which is a big left-leaning paper. And at the time, the tabloids like the Mail, conservative-leaning papers, think it is totally disrespectful. How could these left-wing nasty little papers, the Mirror was one of them, they put, you know, Philip in Greek costume to remind us in a xenophobic way, Phil the Greek wasn't worthy. They think this is so disrespectful of the royal family. And now full circle, actually, most of our left-wing pub publications pretty much disengage unless they worry about the royal family having too much power. You know, the Guardian looks, you know, I think rightly tries to work out just how rich is our king and why. Um, but other than that, they pretty much leave alone. And it is the, the conservative press constantly feeding that infinite appetite who turn over and over different stories with different angles they are like the pussycat with long claws they will tickle the tummy of the royal family and they'll purr when it's all going well but they will scratch you if they're hungry and they need a media hit that's the truth with the tabloids oh it is so true oh so it's scary it true it's scary and so that's what harry i mean you know that's what harry's trying to fight i think we know that harry can sometimes conflate his pain with the truth. I don't think that's him being disingenuous. It's a bit like where he sort of said, Megan's miscarriage was caused pretty much by the stress of the Daily Mail court case. Well, we know that most women of Megan's age, when they miscarry, the vast majority it's actually because they're predis predisposed to miscarriage. Right. Um, and I think that for Harry, on one level, he's absolutely within his rights to call out appalling illegal behavior that we know took place across the media landscape, the, the tabloid landscape, especially in the late 90s when he was coming of age and, and in the early noughties. On the other hand, I think where he's had some difficulties, but we'll let the judge decide, is closing down the, uh, and I think part of this is because his truism in his head is those paps caused mummy's death. And I think that's a bit like the the, the, the the miscarriage equation where, and I totally get it, where you're in pain. I remember having, you know, a miscarriage and I kind of blamed somebody that had given me some food and, you know, like you. And I think, so I think there's two things going on there. On the one hand, Harry, and I'm glad there's someone big enough and, and famous enough to, to take it all the way to court. I think these things need turned over. I don't think that the press was ever sufficiently held to account in this country in the wake of the first round of phone hacking scandals. But on the other hand, I think some of his narrative was undermined by his personal pain thesis. And again, I understand that. And arguably, without that personal pain thesis, tying back to his late dead mother, would he have ever got all the way to court? It's a hard road. He has walked a long and rocky and lonely road. I know I've, I've sued a big company. It is not easy. I would never do it again. It's got to be yeah. so expensive, too. Oh, our fortune. He is one of the few men on the planet who's got the kind of money he can do that with, which is what I mean. Look at his book. Look at his Netflix. The question is, of course, do they downsize? 
they can easily downsize. They have enough assets to survive for the rest of time, but it's whether they want to, whether they would see that as a failure. What what are they? What are their expectations for themselves? Only know, they know the answer to that. We can project. We can say they failed. They haven't delivered. Only they know what makes them happy. Ooh, that's Let's such a good see. point. That's such a good point. I mean, they mm. could be at the end of the day, like looking at their bank account, looking at their babies, looking at their swimming pool, yeah. going, we've got it made. Yeah. We don't need to do yeah. anything else. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, I had a baby at 44. She had, well, how old was Megan? I can't remember, just shy of 40. That in itself is lotter- winning the lottery, babe. That is, a, that is a lot. They've had a few lottery wins. There's pain there. But you have to, and I think he's going to have to learn to do this. And I think he will. He's got the support is flip the narrative. So rather than seeing the half empty glass, you see the half full glass. I that's do what think he has that's do. really important. And yeah. I, uh, once we get a sense that that's where he's coming from, I think a lot of people's attitudes might change towards, towards him. Although a lot of people are very, feel very hurt by the Netflix series and the book Spare. And I don't, you know, I do know that there are going to be a lot of people that are are going to hold a grudge. And I'm not talking about the royal family. I'm talking about royal watchers. Um, it just depends on where they go from here. If they're going to produce content and they're going to create things that people need to purchase or view or listen to, they are going to have to win over some of those people. But if, like you said, their only ambition is to stay behind the scenes, work, work with... I, I don't... I don't know if I entirely agree with that, Kinsey. I think, yeah, the summer are watchers who identify with the garage who are never going to row back. Yeah. But I think Harry and Meghan have a very different audience. Mm. And I think that watch this space in terms of where they grow their model. Um, I I wish them all luck. I think there's room in the world for, for, for two different entities, for the former royal, you know, Californian ex-prince sort of princeling <laughs> and also the british royal family for them both to thrive and and sometimes discord and uncomfortable conversations and and indiscretions and pain sometimes it leads to improvement and reform and reflection and i'm hoping that's what 2324 the back end of the year into the next is going to bring okay so how would you grade the king how would you grade king charles on his first year if i gave you you know 1 to 5 stars Um, probably three and a half to four. Okay. Okay. I would, is that a bit, does that sound a bit mean? I mean, it's the same, it's the same, um, it's it's the same grade that the Barbie movie's been getting. So that's, that's where my (laughs) mind is. (laughs) Well, and that's a box office hit. Yeah, so that's, that's a win for the king. That's, huh? a, great, that's, that's a win for the king. Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm a progressive. I'm an unusual royal animal insofar as I'm a monarchist, but I'm on the progressive side. I'm less the conser- socially conservative side of royal fandom. I'm more the progressive side. I want them to be pushing the envelope of change. It's not something they've ever really embraced. They are, after all, a traditional symbol. But I feel Charles, in comparison, for instance, with his mother, is a more progressive individual. And I would like to see some more manifestations of that going forward. And um, I think that he had a lot of help. Royalty loves performance. There was a lot of wonderful dressing up, pomp, ceremony, music, a lot of stuff that was leaning into him. 
and supporting him. And going forward, he's not a young man. It's a very tough gig. But going forward, I think he can afford to be a little bit more radical with a small R. What's he got to lose? Eh? Wow, you do. See, I feel like people are just mm. waiting to pounce on him if he goes radical. When you say radical, you don't mean political, do you? No, he can't get political. He can't get that's difficult. You know, even green stuff is, as I always said, William and, and Charles, watch out, watch out, don't go too green. I would love them to. I'm a big greenie, but it's going to get more and more political and more and more expensive and real and real it becomes. But I think just radical in the way sometimes he approaches things, in the way he responds to protests, maybe like after the coronation, you know, several of the protesters, you know, down with the king, whatever, well, harmlessly, you know, they were all kind of locked up. That was yeah. not British. That was really not, that was not cool. I, you know, just an, even a tiny little gesture from the king. A lot of people would totally disagree with me. Um, I would like to see him uh, maybe open up the doors a little bit more of his palaces. I'd like a bit more financial transparency from within the House of Windsor. Things that could be done, a little bit of shifting in the right direction in that in that respect. I'd like a slight slimming down, a real slimming down in terms of the monarchy and, and its and its and its assets. I don't think I think it's just overbearing. Um, and I and I think some of the kind of conversations around the Commonwealth, I realize he can't do a lot without, you know, the, the, the government saying so. But I think he could be sometimes braver. And, and likewise, in his relationship with Harry, I think it's his for the taking. And mm -hmm. he's the king and he's the big daddy. So but I, I recognize he's, he's an elderly gen and he's got huge amounts on his plate and hats off because I know most granddads would be like putting my feet up and smoking a pipe. I'm out of this game. So grateful for your service, King Charles. Um, well, I, if you love Dr. Tessa Dunlop as much as I do. Elizabeth and Philip is available now wherever you buy books and you're working on something new. You told me that's on the horizon. I am. And so I, I am, but my daughter's told me, yeah, I, she's told me because I gave a hint to it on social media. She said, don't do that. Really clever people like build once they've got that, once they've, you know, so I, I, I'm just, I was literally working on my proposal. I put it down to speak to you. I must now go and um, pick up my own little princess, Kinsey. I love so that. My own little Barbie. Look, look, I was really hurt because my daughter actually, my teenager sort of went and watched the Barbie movie without me. So oh, that was, that, I was cut down. Yeah. But, but as we know, the Royal family tell us and remind us this children can be cruel. They can be cruel. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, I love you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I'll, I'll text you soon. Love you too. Bye. I love you, Kinsey. Bye.